and welcome to Gen Z's Digital Decalogue. I'm your host, Shivani, and today we are joined by Keegan Lee. Hi, Keegan. Hi. How are you doing today? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. A little bit about our guest of honor today. Keegan is the co-author of 60 Days of Disconnect, a personal perspective of how social media affects mental health, along with Dr. Dalal of Elon University. She is the founder and president of the Digital Wellness Club at her school. She is a director at Log Off and a youth council member at Look Up. And so she's very actively involved in a lot of the efforts in the digital well-being movement. And we are so excited to have you here today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. Awesome. To kind of kick things off, um, we're going to play a little bit of a game that we call our rapid fire. Um, so essentially, I'm going to ask you two or three um, questions. And yeah, just whatever comes to your mind at f- first thought. The first question is, if you were a dog breed, what would you be? If I was a dog breed, I think I would be a golden retriever just because they're so like, there's just something so fun about them. They're always up for an adventure. They're so outgoing and they're kind of goofballs a little bit. So I think they, they would match my, my energy for sure. Okay, cool. Um, I think I would just to, you know, share what my side would be. Yeah. I think I would be a German shepherd. Oh. Um, I don't know. I really love German shepherds. I think they're a good mix of fierce and cute. And yeah. they are absolutely adorable. And when you said golden retriever, all I could do is just nod because I you give off golden retriever <laughs> energy, if that makes sense. Thank you. Thank you. You give off German Shepherd vibes as well. <laughs> okay, cool. Um, my next question is, would you rather watch nothing but cartoons for the rest of your life or cooking channel TV? I would want to do cooking channel tv for the rest of my life just because i'm terrible at cooking and i feel like i could really learn a lot from that and i feel like as i get older and i'm gonna start going into the real world and become more independent i think i'm gonna really need to learn how to cook so i think that that would be a very educational for me so yes i think i would do cooking shows Awesome. That's a very practical way to look at it. And I'm not going to lie. I still watch cartoons this very day. Um, <laughs> it is kind of, I'm just exposing myself here, but it is kind of, it. it's kind of my guilty pleasure. On Fridays, <laughs> I watch the Berenstein Bears. Yes. <laughs> I think that shows for like four-year-olds and I'm 19 now. I still, I still watch that show. Berenstein Bears. Oh my yes. goodness. I remember that yeah and they always have those really good like moral less ethical lessons exactly yeah Yeah, which is why I love it I feel like some of it's still relevant like it's good to it's good to solidify I guess your morals even yeah Yeah. absolutely oh I love that that's awesome um and then my last question is what is your favorite color and why my favorite color is yellow because it, it it represents to me, it represents just happiness and like warm light, um, positivity. And uh, when I see yellow, I mean, it just, it just puts me in a good mindset. And I, I really, I really just love that color. Although some shades of yellow are not the most attractive. So it has to be for me, the more like sunny yellow. But I, I do love that color. What about you? Yeah, I mean, yellow was, was my favorite colors when I was in mm-hmm. middle school. Yeah, and then it just, 
I feel like it changes like every day but mm-hmm. today it is red and green I I like like a dark like green color that's almost like I don't know why the first thing I think of is like Slytherin from Hogwarts but like that Slytherin-y kind of green if that yeah. makes any sense and like I an also, evergreen yes that's the right color there you go yeah, <laughs> yeah I love I love pretty much any shade of green actually um some of my favorites are evergreen I would say yeah um but also red is also another favorite color which mm-hmm. is perfect because Christmas is my favorite holiday too I was so, gonna say the green and the yeah. red very much yeah, yeah yeah awesome cool well thank you for that now that we're all warmed up a little um, <laughs> I'm gonna jump in with our first question today and that's What is the first thing that comes to mind when you think of social media? When I think of social media, I think of a little mix of the good and the negative. I think of how people are able to connect with each other from around the world and form these connections and um, have meaningful conversations with each other through these platforms and spread positivity through these platforms on various issues that may be involved in our community. Um, but, I, but I also think of the mindless scrolling and, and the barrier of human connection and um, the barrier for people's goals and aspirations and how it may affect our uh, ability to communicate face to face. And and so I think it's important to recognize the positives and the negatives with social media because it allows us to further our knowledge in creating a, be- a better balance with it essentially yeah that's awesome and I think that's a, that's a great keyword there balance it's all about balancing the good and the bad and mm-hmm. that sort of brings me to how you got into the sphere of digital well-being why it became something that mattered to you and how you sort of got involved in various organizations Mm-hmm. So it pretty much started in the midst of the pandemic when I realized that my phone was always at my fingertips and I became obsessed with this constant intermittent reward when I was scrolling and I and I was you know questioning is this person going to respond is this person going to like my post and so I was conflating my I was conflating numbers and and likes on a post with my worth and my value um and I I knew that this was not the foundation to living a successful life that I had envisioned for myself. And so I decided to do a little experiment with myself and delete social media for 60 days. And during that time, I journaled my everyday thoughts and feelings and emotions. And also during that journey, I contacted a professor of psychology at Elon University, Dr. Bilal Gandor, and he helped me understand the why, essentially, behind my behaviors, why I was having this withdrawal from my phone during this time, and why I was still having these automatic reactions to my phone, even without social media being there. And so he followed me along my journey and... um, offered a psychological perspective for myself and through him and through the journey I realized that this is not just an individual issue this is something that is universal um, among all ages especially my generation generation z and so from there I I realized that 
after the experiment, I had found the true meaning of human connection, which is being physically together where I can see you, I can make eye contact with you, I can read your facial expressions, um, your body language, everything. Um, and so after that, I was so determined to to want to share my journey with the world and want to educate people about how to create a more healthier and balanced lifestyle on social media. That's incredible. And I think that's the whole premise of your book, right? Um, mm -hmm. You explaining exactly what you felt, your thoughts, your emotions. And mm -hmm. it was followed by this deep psychological analysis of what that really implies. And mm -hmm. I was wondering, uh, I think, I believe that the, the whole process of putting together the book was about a two-year process, if I'm yes. not mistaken. Yes. yes. And so how, what was that process like for you? Did you come in with like journal entries and then did you guys dissect them together? How did that sort of come to be? So I initially, I contacted him. I went to the Elon University website to the Department of Psychology and I looked at all of these amazing professors and he specifically focused on addiction and anxiety, specifically in the adolescent um, areas. And so we set up a Zoom call and I talked about what I wanted to do and he was so enthusiastic about it and he was I'm so grateful that he was because um, he was really an integral part in the entire process because I knew that people could be self-aware about these habitual um, behaviors that they were having with their phone but they may not know essentially why this is happening and so throughout this two-year process I kind of took some breaks in writing because, you know, life gets in the way and everything. But um, I, I would just write based on what I had written in my journal um, every day. And so I, I was, I kept track of that throughout the entire journey. And um, Dr. Gandor read those entries and he responded to almost every one of them and just he just offered a deeper psychological approach to why this was happening to me. And um, so it wasn't until probably this summer that we had completely finished the entire book and then the publishing process started. That was pretty much the, the journey. I mean, that's awesome. And how was it like for you to have a lot of the what you were feeling kind of explained from a psychological perspective? Did it help you understand some of the emotions that you were going through? And how did that affect your relationship with your decision and that whole experience? Yeah, so that's a wonderful question. I I mean, it was my understanding of, of social media at the time and, and its effect on our psychology was very surface level. And so having Dr. Gandor there to help me analyze my behaviors, my thoughts, my emotions, it helped me realize that this is this is the underlying cause of my of my goals not being accomplished of me having you know barriers with my human connection and all of that and so he was really the the guiding force in allowing me to understand all of that and um that's why I'm I'm so grateful for him because without him, 
I wouldn't understand um, why dopamine plays such a role in, in our addiction with social media and why we feel so attached to these numbers and these intangible incentives that come from it. Um, and why we may feel more comfortable communicating through a screen than in person. And so he helped me understand all of those things. And then from him, from him I was able to translate it into to real life situations. Kind of related to that, you know, in my mind, prior to like any of this understanding of psychology or any of the work that you both did together, my thought process was, okay, this is like my base level up here is addiction and somewhere in between is, you know, the reliance on phones. But I, I realized that this, this social media thing is just it's a lot closer to addiction than I thought it was. Mm -hmm. And I was wondering how that realization was for you and what some of the indicators were that you felt that way. Yeah, so one of the biggest one of the biggest indicators was I remember one night I was out to dinner with my family and I had my phone right on the table. This was during the 60 days of, of disconnect and um, I had my phone on the table and I would every time it would light up, I would click it. And because I would want to see it. it was essentially this magic of maybe, maybe there's something that's going to be there that's going to stimulate me and I'm going to get some reward from that. And there wasn't because I wasn't, I didn't have social media. And um, that, of course, kind of made me a little disappointed and down. And my dad said to me, Keegan, are you even aware that you are doing this? Are you even aware that you are tapping your phone constantly? And I said, no, I'm not. It's almost a robotic response, like automatic response that I have to my phone. And so then I just, I flipped my phone over and he was like, well, that doesn't make very much of a difference at all. Just the fact that I had flipped it over because not only was it disrespectful to my family, but the phone being there signaled to them that it was more important than they were. And that is incredibly disrespectful, especially to people who are closest to my heart. And so that was one of the first things where I realized, okay, this is, this is a problem. This is an addiction. And then throughout the journey, I would kind of have these feelings of missing out because you know, social media is a place where people make plans, where you can see what everybody is doing. Um, and so I kind of felt like I was missing out on that. And I would feel like there was this gap in my life that wasn't being fulfilled because I had been, I had removed something that was so prevalent. And now I'm like, well, what do I do with all this time that I have? I mean, I, I don't know. And so it wasn't until the end of the journey where I, where I felt like I had a higher tolerance for boredom, where I could just be, um, and just to live and just be present. And I wasn't worried about, uh, a notification or a like on a post or anything like that. I was just able to truly live. That's beautiful. I mean, the way you put that, and I think it, it speaks so much as to how our society and our culture have evolved in the sense that the way we interact with, with each other is different now. Like, for example, 
as I am walking and talking with my friends in the hallway, say during high school, there's always someone who had an AirPod in or, or one of their earbuds in, or like they had their headphones half out, half in, whatever. Right. Or then they would be talking to you while they're texting someone else. And then part of you felt like you weren't, you weren't, like you said, considered important to that person. And I was, and sometimes, you know, when I'm having conversations with people like that, I just feel the need to say, okay, I'll just catch up with you later and then come back to that conversation because I feel like, you know, we're not giving each other the same respect and time that, that we could be. Right. Yeah. It's scary. It's really scary. Yeah. Yeah. And, and kind of related to that, I was curious, um, the 60 days of which you did not use social media, what time period was that around? That was during the January, it was just right after the first of the year, I believe of 2021, I believe. Um, And so it was kind of my new year's resolution, I guess you could say. And so it was during January and February. Those were the two months. Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. And I'm not sure exactly how the quarantine restrictions were like or if COVID played a role, but I was curious as to how maybe some of the isolation due to that during those times affected you, maybe your FOMO or how the break from social media might, the effects of that might've been more amplified. So that was one of the things that I was worried about. And I wrote about that in the introduction of the book where uh-huh. I where yeah. I said, people are probably going to judge me because we're already in a time where we are already socially isolated. We're all in quarantine during this time. And why would I be removing something from my life that would limit more connection with people? But as time went by, I realized I'm really getting more connection, more genuine, authentic, raw, real human connection. And I I came to the revelation where I'd rather have five true friends than a thousand fake ones. And on social media, it's really hard to distinguish that because there's so many superficial friendships, superficial realities. And so at first I did struggle with that because I, I felt kind of lonely because I had looked to social media for that social gratification and validation for myself. And I wasn't getting that. And so, um, but that compelled me to look to -to face-to-face interaction. And that's where I started to see, okay, this is transitionary. Yeah, that's incredible. Um, And also when when I hear about you talk about, I guess, the psychological and the neuroscience behind it, it makes me very happy for you in the sense that if, for those who don't know in the audience, Keegan is going to study neuroscience in college. And I can just I can just see all the the dots, you know, connect in my head now. Cause I can see the way you talk about it. And I'm I'm glad that you found something like that, that you're able to connect to your passions, your life, and what you're gonna do. I mean, that's incredible. Yeah, I you know, I was really passionate about going into medicine. I thought I wanted to be a doctor, I wanted to to study medicine, but then after this book was published and working with Dr. Gandor and what he does, because he's also a clinical psychologist, um, I realized that this is truly my passion. And if I want to work in a field where I feel like I don't have to work a day in my life because it's what I love, I want to study neuroscience and psychology because I love 
human behavior. I love the intricacy of human beings and how not one person is alike. And I think it's incredible that I could just be walking down the street or driving my car and see a complete stranger and understand that they have a life as vivid and complex as my own. And, and so I feel like that studying the art and the beauty of humans and their brain and their mind, I feel like that that would just help me make a difference in the world. And that's, that's really what I'm compelled to do. That's awesome. And I'm, I'm glad you found your passion. You know, that's incredible. <laughs> yeah. And I, that kind of brings me to, you know, tying up what you've been doing with your book, your personal experiences. And I want to kind of connect that almost like a bridge to some of the work you've been doing at Log Off and Look Up and what led you to places like that? So I really, I really wanted to be a part of a community with like-minded and diverse individuals. And I knew that log off and look up, I mean, these communities, these are filled with teenagers and adults who are passionate about this cause and want to make these long lasting differences in the world. And I, I wanted to be a part of that, who a part of a community where people were keen to support this for the long term. And it's been incredible to see digital wellness being shared in, in various countries and states around the world. And it's really fulfilling and rewarding to be talking to people who are my age, so young, but desperate to just improve digital wellness. Yeah, that's awesome. And that sort of brings me to the mix of all that. Like, what do you see the power of youth advocacy being in the space of ethical tech and digital well-being? I feel like it's one of the most important things. I mean, I think that big change starts small, and I think it starts with the younger voices. Um, I think that if a young person who is mostly being affected by this, like Generation Z, since we are the first generation to be born into a world of social media this this large, I feel like that we are the ones that truly need to speak up um, for present and future generations um, because I think it would hopefully create a domino effect among among people and it would convince them that, wow, people who are who were born into this, technically technologically dense world they they are self-aware and they are they want to change our habits and so I think that the youth play a really big role and if the youth were to grow up and and chose to have children them being parents them playing the parent role that is crucial in how future generations would use technology because parents are the primary determinant as to how a child uses technology. Yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't agree more. And I think also thinking about it on a preemptive scale from now on, you know, when social media came out, when a lot of these platforms came out, not a lot of us really understood what the implications for that would be in the long run. And, you know, as technology evolves today is AI, tomorrow will be something else. And as all of that starts coming into play, 
Um, it, it calls to the matter of the question that do we how do we acknowledge something's an issue? How are we going to preemptively prevent certain things from happening? And I, that brings me to the difference between the youth advocates and then youth in general, right? Youth advocates are extremely passionate about this cause and they're very passionate about, you know, reform and social media and things like that. But on average, a lot of our youth don't seem to acknowledge this to be a major problem in the sense that, you know, you talk about the abuse of technology. It's a lot of really parents of young children that are coming out and saying that, hey, my kid is, is overly dependent on something. It's a few uh, students here and there that also say that, but it's also become so absorbed into our culture that not a lot of people are acknowledging that it's an issue. So what, how can, what advice do you have to Gen Z as to how they can learn about their tech use and improve it? It's a really good question. And I think in my opinion, I think it starts a lot first in the household and then in the school system. Um, I know at Log Off, we published a school curriculum um, that could be used for international schools to share the importance of digital wellness with the youth. And I feel like that if we can start learning first in the household and then take that to the school system, I feel like that that would really make a difference because of the advocacy and um, just the awareness of it all. And I think it starts, it has to start very young um, because that will create the foundation for how people will use technology in their later years. And it's scary when I see a toddler being handed a tablet and it's like almost innate to them that they know how to use it. And so I feel like that that's, that's really the role of, of teenagers and young people right now, of the youth, that they, they really need to have the courage to, to use their voice, um, even if they're afraid that they're going to be judged because this is something that's so prevalent and everybody is so immersed in it. They're, too much of anything is a bad thing, and that's what people need to understand. Yeah, I mean, that was put beautifully, actually. Um, thank you so much, Keen. I think that's a perfect place for us to come to a conclusion. It was really great talking to you. Congratulations to both you and Dr. Yandor for this book that you have published and all the work that you do in digital well-being. Thank you so much, Shivani, for having me. I've really enjoyed our time. Of course. And maybe just to wrap things up off for the last time, is there anything that you would like to say to our viewers? Anything you want to add on? I would just like to say that this is an important cause that needs to be shared with the world for the benefit of authentic human connection and for the benefit of just humanity um, at large. And I think that if you can become comfortable living in the world that we have without the dependency of, of a technological device, I feel like that that would be a great pathway for for true happiness and and true just living in the present so that would be my advice to you leaving this awesome thank you keegan that was great thanks for being here thanks for chatting with us and thank you to all our listeners for being here today keegan please keep us posted on all your work during in this movement and we'd love to hear more about your plans in the future 
I will. Thank you so much, Shivani. I really appreciate you.